0: Uh, I want to start by talking about uh, um, some people the people I knew from St. Hillary's and I'll change their name I've got to keep looking down to make sure I keep saying their false names Lisa and Tony I don't know any Lisa and Tonys, so that's nice and safe Um, I'll talk about them because they were a couple that were um, actively part of church they had a couple of kids they were involved in ministry for a really long time and um, they could talk intelligently about the Bible and about topics like how to run a good church service and about mission of the church and about what is the church um, and they had their own stories of the church to talk about and um, you know they, they both had different personalities um, And if you went to their home, you would see indicators that they weren't Christians. So you'd see, um, you know, Christian books and music and stuff sort of scattered throughout their house. Not that you have to have them to be a Christian, but you could see that and you'd think, oh, these people are Christians. Um, But after a few years, I started to notice something about them, which, um, yeah, just started to make me wonder, which was that there, there seemed to be... Something missing in their faith? Um, For a start, um, Tony would talk a lot about church and church activities, um, but rarely talk about Jesus at all. And he would never voluntarily bring up in discussion how his faith was going, how his faith in Jesus was going. Lisa, while similar to Tony in that respect, was always critical of church, pointing out what was wrong, often, you know, would be disengaged with the community and together they were fine as a couple wasn't like they were carrying around these huge kind of massive sins that i mean maybe they didn't they didn't tell me but that it was we're not talking about that kind of couple here that's kind of living this massive double life here necessarily not that i could tell but there was just kind of a there seemed to be like this big gap in their faith Um, that was playing itself out over time. So as they um, went through different experiences of life, I could just see as their friend things unpacking that didn't compute with me for a Christian family in in terms of the way they applied their faith. What I think Lisa and Tony had as their problem is what... um, the authors of the book, Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane, they call this the Gospel Gap. It sounds a bit nerdy, but it's a good phrase that's going to be central to what I'm saying this morning. They had something fundamentally wrong with their understanding of the gospel. They were able to function in their Christian world and their small groups, and yet at the whole time, it's like they had an operating computer operating system, and there were files missing. You know, and the hole got so big that. Um, you know what, what they were doing and, and what, what the authors of this book describe I think is accurate. It's like they walk around the hole and they just get used to living with this kind of gap in their spiritual formation, and their understanding of the gospel. Um, the problem is when you've got a hole, things fall down in that hole. Uh, they even had the hole repair manual, which is the Bible, but didn't seem to use it um, to fix that hole. Um, but they just got used to living with apathy, with cynicism, with disappointment, with anger, with jealousy. Um, so, you know, I think it's a good thing for us all to think about because I, I want to move away from them now and think about us because I meet a lot of Christians who have this gospel gap in one way or the other. And now the problem is, as I talk about this, you're going to think about other people, right? But I want you to think about yourself here. Um, the reality is that there's often a gap in our, our understanding of the gospel and I'm not talking about an intellectual thing I mean it's part, partly intellectual I guess but we're not here I'm not trying to talk about becoming more scholarly or sort of more knowledgeable and memorising more Bible verses or, or anything like that or having a, being a better debater of systematic theology we're not talking about that here we're talking about deep gut knowledge of, of the gospel of what Jesus has done for you What is that gap we're talking about that often we see? The passage from 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 9 explains the gap. If you look at verse 9, there are Christians, it seems, who do not produce much fruit in their life. There's not much evidence of their Christian faith that they, they or anyone else can point to. There's little in the way of godly character in their lives. Not very much godly goodness. You might see... Middle class joy, I mean, middle class happiness of living in the suburbs or whatever, and having nice material things around them, and being able to achieve the middle class goals. But we're talking about godly character. It's a kind of a something that's very specific, and, and and perhaps they don't worship Jesus with much comfort or relate in a healthy way. And perhaps there's unresolved conflict in their lives with with people. It's amazing to think that you can be involved in church activities and come along for years and still, you know, be like this. And so why does it happen? According to verse nine, the Apostle Peter says that these people are nearsighted and they're blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. They've lost hope in the gospel. Now let's talk about what Jesus achieves for us, past, present and future, just briefly. Because I think um, it's right to say that most Christians, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're going to be able to quickly tell me or each other what Jesus has done for you. So if I asked you, why is it good to be a Christian? Often the first thing Christians might say is, well, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Right? That's true. That's a great thing. And that's a past tense thing. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. They might also quick, quickly secondly say, or they might say this first, it's great to be a Christian because I know that when I die, I can um, live for eternity with Jesus. Um, I, I, I have hope in, in my resurrection um, to live in the new heavens and the new earth with, with Jesus for eternity. Right? And that's a future thing. And so, I, you know, it's amazing. We, we quickly talk about the past and the future. But if I was to say to you now, if I was to walk up to you with the microphone in front of the whole church, put the microphone in front of you and say, listen to me, three things that's really good about being Christian now. How does Jesus affect your life now, right? What would you say? It's a good question to think about. How does Jesus affect your work? How does Jesus affect your family life? How does Jesus affect the way you spend your money? How does Jesus affect your character now? How does Jesus affect your thought life, your sex life? I wouldn't ask you to say that in front of the whole church, but, um, you know, can you answer those questions? And I, my guess is that for many of us if we were asked by a friend, spontaneously, you know, in the elevator, how does being a Christian affect you now, you might struggle a bit. You might say, oh, um, I'll get back to you. Uh, yeah, it's just really good to go to church. Yeah, it's great, you know, and, uh oh, floor three, see ya you know, <laughs> stepping out. Um, how do you go of connecting your everyday life to your faith in Jesus? Seems like there's a, the problem that can occur is um, spiritual, kind of a spiritual blindness when we haven't quite really got a grasp of that, how Jesus is impacting our lives in the now. For a start, your identity can be a problem. You, you may not have the right perspective on who you are, you might think of yourself you define yourself in terms of your relationship with your people around you or in terms of your work or your achievements rather than being a child of God and you may not really have a grasp of your capacity to sin you'll trust yourself not to fall into temptation because you're a pretty good person you'll underestimate your attraction to idols you ignore the war that's raging in your heart, as it says in Romans 7. Um, and, you know, um, when, I, when I was at St. Hills, I used to wonder after a while that part of the problem can sometimes be not to blame it always on the parents, but sometimes Christian parents can bring their children up to sort of for them to think that they're um, great Christian kids. And you'll be right, you know. <laughs> and to actually not help them to see that they're sinners like everyone else. I know this sounds out of fashion to talk like this, but it's important. Um, and so the kids don't really realise. They just sort of think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm a great person, you know, and um, I'm all right. And so everyone's shocked when the Christian kid starts pushing the boundaries. It starts off, they rock up the church with a mohawk. What's going on here? There's nothing wrong with having mohawks. But you you can see, ah, the Christian kids pushing the boundaries. They go clubbing, nothing wrong with clubbing necessarily, depends what you're doing when you go clubbing, if it's a good club or a bad club. (laughs) They get a funny haircut. They start drinking. There's nothing necessarily wrong with alcohol as such, but what's going on? They become sexually active. They're exploring, who am I? What's my moral boundaries? They. Might even explore different personalities I don 't mean having a multiple personality disorder, but I just like i'm going to break away from my upbringing you know, and then suddenly, after a while, the Christian kid can be really off exploring and is not a Christian anymore, and everyone 's shocked equally, the same thing can go with Christian parents. everyone 's shocked sometimes, and the Christian parents end up and their marriage breaks down there's an affair. Um, there's pain, there's hurt. And it's partly because of our identity problem, isn't it? That we're not connecting our, our everyday lives now to Jesus. We're not applying... There's this big gap in our life and suddenly we fall down at ourselves. Another problem that can occur when we've got this big gospel hole in our life is God's provision. So we don't actually see the good stuff that um, God is giving us or we're looking in the wrong area. Look at verse 3 in our passage. It says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for godliness, for godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We know that we've got a promise of life after death, but do you know we've got a promise for life now? But we're not talking about a, a promise for everything that you need physically necessarily. There's no promise that you're going to have the amount of money that you think you need, like that? you might think oh, I need this kind of money, but you would never actually get that. You, you, there's no promise that you're going to, if you're in jail, you're necessarily going to be released from jail. That's a whole situation. You know, there's no promise that you're li- if you're living in a developing country that suddenly you're going to be lifted out of poverty. I mean, in the big schema of God's history, you, you will, the, the world will, but you in that moment in time, not necessarily but you will be given everything you need to live a godly life through the knowledge of him. But so if you've got this big gospel gap, you'll, you'll miss out on seeing that. And you'll, you'll actually start to think, God doesn't care for me. He doesn't give me what I need. And, but in actual fact, Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He lives in us by his Spirit. And if we don't realise this, then this can really cause us to have a, a distorted perspective on our Christian life. This all can come from this this gap, this gospel gap of what is Jesus doing now in my life? And thirdly, we'll also not really grasp the process that's going on for us. What is God doing in us over time? Um, How is Jesus changing us now? God God wants to partner with us in a process of growing in holiness. Um, So if you're experiencing suffering or personal challenges, perhaps disappointment, You should not think that God has forgotten you. Remember that God's power in your life is a constant process of change. He is faithful, and this applies to every Christian. This is what we should expect. Change over time. You can't necessarily see what's around the corner. And then you'll get to later in life, and you'll look back and you'll see, oh, God was working in my life, I just didn't realise it. Now, the problem with having this big... Oh, well, I've just talked about three problems. Now here's another problem, set of problems, is that you'll fill the gap with something else. I don't know about your house, but in my house, um, always if there's a spare shelf space, it gets filled with trinkets or just stuff that's on the floor, and we fill it. There's not enough books, and so fill it. Um, if you've got a spare bedroom, it's often the junk room, right? And that's the thing with um, this hole in your life you haven't got this right, is it can get filled with other things. Um, Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 as pretensions. um, The lies that set themselves up against the gospel. The lies that sound true. Um, So um, it's not that you'll fill up the hole with lies that are obvious. Like if I was to come and say to you, I'm really a Russian spy, you'd know that's not true. right? Some of you would be going, no, maybe he is. No, but really, you'd know it's not true. But if I rocked up in my gym clothes and said I was a marathon runner, you might think that might be true. You might laugh at me as well. Um, and that's what kind of the pretensions that Paul talks about, that, that kind of deceive us, are like. They're like lies that seem right. And this is what I want to focus on now. Some Some kind of External behaviours that we can manifest as Christians that can become our faith. They sound good, but they're not actually the core, the heart of the Christian faith, and they can lead us down the wrong path. And this really is going to form the basis of the whole series and these these concepts in terms of getting to the heart of, of, of God changing us. Formalism is one of these kind of pretensions that fills the whole. Formalism is where you fill your life with church activities. You might be busy being on rosters, um, having church meetings, duties, doing all the right things, and you, you give financially and you go to the groups and you know everyone's name. And it's not like that that's wrong, but that's not what it means to be a Christian, is it? God actually spoke out to the Israelites um, and, and, and warn them against this. Isaiah one: I have more than enough of your burnt offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. He says. Jesus says the same thing to Pharisees or similar. He, to the Pharisees in Matthew twenty three twenty three: Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices—mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. So the big problem with formalism becoming your faith, you know, the performance of Christian church life is that you end up letting it control your life and it ignores your need for God's grace. The gospel is reduced to church participation. Now don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying I don't want you to participate in church life or that God doesn't want you I'm just saying, if that's all it is, it's gonna lead to that hole being filled with something false. Here's another one, legalism. You would have heard of legalism, probably. It's closely related to formalism, where you have a lot of rules for yourself, do's and don'ts. You expect others to keep your standards as well, and you relate to God as a harsh judge, but when you keep your list of special rules, you feel good, don't you? But legalism misunderstands that everyone has fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned. Everyone needs God's grace. You cannot earn God's favour. So while you are legalistically keeping your set of rules, you are not addressing your judgmentalism and your pride. The book of Galatians shows us that legalism is another gospel. It's not the true good news of Jesus. Here's a third one. This can fill the hole, the gospel gap. Mysticism. Mysticism. It's about being obsessed with having experiences of God's spiritual experiences, emotional experiences. You end up being hopping around churches from church to church looking for that um, spiritual and emotional experience because for you, God's power in your life is really what it's all about. Whoosh experiences, I love that. It's what my friend calls it. Whoosh experiences, yes. But then in between times, in between these whoosh experiences, your faith feels... Like it's a bit flat, and what's God doing? He's not around anymore, you know. We should have an emotional faith. We should express our feelings. We should expect God to work powerfully in our lives. The Christian faith is a spiritual faith. But if all you're doing is searching for whoosh moments, then that's a problem. How how are you living your faith when you're doing the dishes, when you're Cleaning up at home, when you're doing the boring work at, at work and you're typing on the computer through those lists. You've got to be a Christian then too, not just when you're, you know, singing Mary Creek gospel songs. Here's another one activism. This can fill your gospel gap. So, successive governments in Australia have treated asylum seekers. Um, with great injustice, and you could use the word evil probably safely. Locking children up in detention, turning back the boats, promoting a culture of xenophobia in Australia. And you might be passionate about this, and this might be your thing, and you campaign against it, and you, you you might sit in the politician's office and do a peaceful protest, and you might go to the rallies, and you might write letters, and you might picket at things, you know, politicians, and this is all good and important. Right, do it. Christians should be politically active, we should be speaking against injustice and we should be a pain in the neck for our politicians, that is right. But for those of us who are passionate about justice causes there is a real danger that that becomes our faith. Other causes are like it, the environment, you know, foreign aid. Let's pursue these things but they're not the gospel. We can easily forget about our joyful pursuit of Christ, our need for Jesus. Our, you know the, the fact that we are sinners in, in need of Jesus' forgiveness and him working in our lives every day, that love and peace, that can just go out the door. There's, there is evil around us, but actually there's also evil in us, says the Bible. Evil that needs the healing power of Jesus. We need humility. We need God's grace. So there's another one, activism. Five, biblicism. (laughs) Biblicism is the very hard to to detect worship of the Bible. You should love the Bible. It's good to read the books about the Bible, commentaries or, you know, like the one we're using today. Um, I have hundreds of books about the Bible on my Kindle and hard copy and I have a lot of translations of the Bible. And I've even got a collection of Bible-based DVDs, which are very cheesy. You might find yourself using phrases all the time, like good theology, bad theology, biblical worldview, pre-mill, post-mill, a reformed, neo-reformed, five-point, four-point, five-point, limited attainment, unlimited attainment. And that's okay, you can use those phrases, just not you know at the dinner table. You could be the smartest Bible person in the world and also misunderstand the Gospel because understanding the Gospel really comes from knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus. See the distinction? Instead of humble service of the church community, instead of being an encourager of the minister's sermons, instead of sitting down with some of the kids to help them understand the Bible, the Biblicist... (laughs) will be the person whose gospel gap is filled with worship of the Bible and they just study and debate and think. They've mastered the word, but the word hasn't mastered them. It's a good catchphrase. Mastered the word, but the word hasn't mastered them. That's not from me, that's from the book. Six, psychology-ism. You might always be looking out for the hurting person at church. This is important. You might be passionate about pastoral care and want your church to have a A tight pastoral care system, right, that everyone follows. And this is important. The church needs people who are passionate about pastoral care. In fact, we all should be passionate about that. But while you are meeting up with others, you yourself often feel hurting as well and that you need others to be meeting up with you and you might start to feel angry sometimes. Why why is this church just not loving? You know, you might have heard that phrase before. It's not a caring church. What has happened is Jesus has subtly become, for you, a therapist to help people. He's stopped being your saviour and your identity perhaps is slipping into being a hurt person and you almost look for other hurt people and you enjoy, in a strange way, in a weird way, being a hurt person. Together we can be hurt people together. You've become perhaps self-absorbed, demanding and sometimes even critical of others who don't emphasise with you and with others. Perhaps you also have a bit of a saviour complex. You enjoy stepping in and saving people when they're, when they're in tears. Christianity for you has become about having your unmet psychological needs resolved. It's no longer about your need for forgiveness and salvation. Your gospel of the gap is about healing of emotional needs. That's psychology And lastly, socialism, nothing to do with the politics. Social-ism is, uh, I remember one of the last pastoral conversations I had at St. Hilary's when I was there was, went like this. The person admitted to me that, you know, I've been here for over 10 years and really, what I've realized is I love the people. I love the congregation and that's why I come. And now that's not a bad thing. You should love the people and you should love the congregation. But that's all it was. And they admitted that. They said, really, I can give or take Jesus. But I just love the friends that I've got here. Now, for many people, that's true. Um, They don't necessarily say it out loud. Um, The church is supposed to be your spiritual family, but Jesus is supposed to be at the centre. You can go away on camps together, off to your community group, and you can have great conversations after church. But then what happens if your friends move on? What happens if um, you find another group of friends that are even better? What happens if you've got a group of friends over here that are just like you and you all just love sitting around and talking about your favorite bands? And at church, you've got really daggy people (coughs) who are annoying and just talk about the same topics every week and have smelly breath. Well, you'll probably end up going to these people, won't you? Um, But that's not what being a Christian is about. You love people despite who they are, despite who you are. Uh, and your gospel has got a big gap in it, hasn't it? Church has become a social club, so you just ignore the difficult people. Your identity and purpose becomes about the community, not about Jesus. So you just look for the right community. So there you go. Formalism. This can go in the whole Formalism, legalism, mysticism, activism, biblicism, psychology and social dashism. ism So... There's a lot there. We need to fill the gap with the true gospel. That's what we need to do. And we're going to spend the whole series talking about this, so I don't, I'm not going to go into huge depth about that now, but I'll just list the basic things. We need to look at the extent of the gravity of our sin. You might know intellectually the doctrine of sin, but do you know it in your heart and that you really need Jesus? That needs to go in that hole. And we need that because... If we have this sober view about sin we'll see how good news the gospel is. there's actually bad news in the gospel the bad news the gospel is you've actually fallen short of the glory of God Here's the good news though Jesus is your savior He'll give you his righteousness if you have faith in him. secondly the centrality of the heart God wants to master your heart that needs to go in the in the whole the, the, the gospel gap hole and by your heart I mean your deepest self the organ that produces your character and personality. This is where lasting change occurs. Thirdly, what should go in the whole is the present benefits of Christ. So the hope of every Christian is Jesus Christ. We can live in courage and hope because Christ lives in us. He rules all things and he has put his enemies under his feet. Our hope is not in mastering the Bible necessarily or solving the problem of asylum seeker policies or having a perfect pastoral care system or keeping all the Christian rules of life, but our hope is in Christ who lives in us. Fourth, God's call to growth and change. Put that in the hole. We know our past is in Jesus. We know our future is in Jesus. We know that the now is in Jesus too. God is calling us to change by the power of his grace. He doesn't want to change us to become good middle-class people. He wants to change us to become Christ-like. Look at verse 4 from our passage, 2 Peter 1. Through these, he has given us every great and precious promises, So, his, his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And lastly, a lifestyle of repentance and faith. If you want to start experiencing change, then this is gonna be a, a daily thing of realizing who you are and what your need for repentance and God's power in your life. You know, as you get older, you might not have thought about this, as you get older, your your world gets bigger, and so does your gospel get bigger. So Leo's four, his world is this big and his gospel is this big too, and he just sings the songs and talks about Jesus and reads the kids' books, and that's exciting. But when, he, when he's in high school, his world's going to have expanded, and his gospel has to fill in that hole, doesn't it? It has to fill in that, that bigger circle. He's going to be exploring more complex issues of life. And when he's a, you know, in his 20s, he's going to have complex things going on, relationships and career and what God wants me to do with my life. And you know, um, as he becomes a full-time worker as he becomes middle-aged, as he might go through some health problems, as he gets close to retirement, the world gets bigger and bigger. And if that gospel doesn't expand into that gap, well, there's a problem. That's why there's a process and there's a constant need for constant repentance and constant asking of God's grace to give you that perspective on that expanding world through your life. It keeps going. I, I, I remember um, as we... You know, as I was talking to Patty right at the end of her life just thinking about, yes, a person approaching death they've got as far as they can go in terms of that, that perspective on life and how the gospel fills out that's what happens to us as Christians so, in conclusion this is a quite a heavy start to our series a lot of content, and it's my longest sermon I've ever preached in Mary Creek if you've come for the first time it's not normally this long but I'm excited about it, it's important We need to face up to these big issues, our idols, our insecurities, our fake gospels that we have used to substitute for the real gospel. But all of this is to bring us back to Jesus. It's not to make us feel bad. It's to know Jesus, to realise the power of his life, of him in our lives, his love and grace in our lives. All of this is to experience real change in our life, to become more like Christ.